0: Welcome to Fragments of Blue. Join Grace and Laura each week as they discuss the power of scripture to guide us through life's complexity into a greater love of
1: God. I'm Grace. And I'm Laura. And today we're going to ask the question, why Fragments of Blue? Yes. What is this
0: weird name? I think we were talking to someone the other day and they were saying, oh, I was listening to your podcast, something about like shattered glass. and. Anyway, so we thought we would kind of give an explanation for the intent behind our podcast and what the title really is about. And so a while ago when we were starting it, we were trying to decide what the name was going to be. And I stumbled across this poem by Robert Frost, Fragmentary Blue. And the thing that it captured so perfectly is this idea that in the world there are these like blue is one of the rarest colors you see in nature. And when we see it, it is so exciting and so beautiful, whether you see in a forget-me-not or a butterfly and how it wets our appetite to gaze at the sky above us. And it made me think about how what my experience as a Christian is so often is seeing little things that capture me in such a way that really wets my appetite for heaven and for God
1: Whether you see it in people or you see it in nature. Yeah, everywhere. In God's word already. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think there are so many people who whose experience of Christianity feels so devoid of the joy and the beauty. Mm -hmm. And and it shouldn't be that way. And I think we want to convince people that actually the Christianity as it is meant to be lived is intellectually satisfying but also very beautiful like it satisfies those longings and wets our appetite for some well it satisfies our longings and yet increases our longings for something that we will not get in this world Mm. so it it forces our gaze to go heavenward and to anticipate more and more and long evermore for heaven i don't know if you've had this experience grace but growing up i had regular um times where I would whether I was going for a walk or reading books it's like I would experience something that was so beautiful or just made me feel like I just need something I'm like I don't know what Mm. it was just this deep longing and it was um I remember like my telling my parents things like Oh, I wish I could be a tree, like things like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought I was
1: kind of a romantic child. <laughs> you take the cake. <laughs> I loved like being out and building forts and like imagining castles and chasing frogs and yeah. all of those kind of things. But it just made you hungry for something that, for this life that you imagined yes. that was so much greater and so much beyond what you currently have. Yes, had. and
0: it was always. Totally
1: inaccessible. Yeah. The thing,
0: the thing that you felt like would satisfy was like living in a fairy world or being a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can get around that somehow, <laughs> or or something like that. And I had never really hashed it. Like, why? What is this? Other than just you know, Laura being silly. Mm. But a while ago, I came across um, an article about C.S. Lewis, where he discusses what he gives a defense of. Christianity, reason and romanticism. Mm. And it talks about romanticism, not in the way we think of it as like a romantic novel about like, like mm. romantic love, love or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's not about that. <laughs> he he explains that like part of his path towards becoming a Christian was this, well, I'll just quote w- what he says, because of course, CS says, mm-hmm. says it best. He says that what I meant by romanticism was a particular recurrent experience which dominated my childhood and adolescence in which, which I hastily called romantic because inanimate nature and marvelous literature were among the things that evoked it. It was an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure. And he goes on to say that the reason, the only way that it is similar to happiness and pleasure is that we want it to happen again. Mm. So I remember like climbing a tree out- outside of our church and waiting for the wind to come so that I would get this swept up feeling because mm. I just wanted to feel this again. But it mm-hmm. was so painful. Like it felt like, ah. Oh, I'm wanting something. I just can't have it, even, even with the wind and the tree. <laughs> okay, you're just giving me a weird no, look.
1: <laughs> I, I'm also thinking of my childhood and the things that I loved. And when you're talking about, like, pleasure and that you want it, and then there's something in the wanting that's also beautiful. Yes. And there's... Um, a quote, and it's from A.A. Milne, it's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> you know, you, you quote Lewis, I'll quote Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Equally <He quote laughs> sophisticated Equal, in yes. its own way. <laughs> but he talks about, there's a moment just before honey touches your lips. Mm. That's an even greater pleasure than the honey itself. He doesn't say it like that. I made it better. Pooh was a bear of very little brains. And I'm quoting him. But just there, I was like, yeah, I get that. There's this time just before the satisfying thing that you kind of crave and want because you know that the thing itself is so momentary. And I think that's why I crave heaven because you're you're like, there's things there that are so beautiful and they're eternal. It's not momentary. It's not just this tiny glimpse of the pleasure that awaits it's the pleasure itself that's going to last, yes. which is amazing.
0: And and Lewis talks about this desire as almost being like a proof,
1: mm.
0: a, like the, the ontological proof that obviously we are made for something more because we have these desires. And he talks about how he has tried to have them fulfilled with the things he thinks will fulfill them. Mm-hmm. That is climbing the tree, experiencing the wind and swaying with the tree and feeling like surely this will give me that sense that I'm experiencing something greater mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what does that mean? Why did I want that? What mm-hmm. is it that I'm wanting then even still? And for C.S. Lewis, this romanticism that he believes is in everyone and often, well, helped along by stories and a- mm-hmm. awoken in children with fairy tales and stuff is a sign that we that we have an appetite, that mm-hmm. appetite is meant to be filled with God and will be satisfied mm-hmm. when we get to heaven. And I think fragmentary blue is a poem that captures that. It just uh, concentrates that mm-hmm. idea so, so well. Yeah. And I think Piper says that he felt for a long time that the duty of the Christian was to kill desire. Mm. And it's felt like a losing battle. And I feel like (laughs) this is a losing battle. I want so many things so badly. And as I get older, they only seem to increase. My desires seem to get stronger and more varied, not weaker. Mm -hmm. And and I think the conclusion to come to, which I think the Bible comes to, is not to kill desire, but to Mm -hmm. desire even more Mm -hmm. and the greatest thing, which can satisfy. Yeah. And that is God. And that is a hard thing to convince ourselves of, I think. But I think that's what we want this podcast to do is to work on convincing ourselves and other people that, no, no, no. This desire you have, stoke it and look for Mm. it where it ought to be looked for. Yeah. And and then wait in this kind of weird in-between stage where it won't completely be satisfied yet. Mm -hmm. But we know it will be.
1: To look for the things of God, I think, is really important. Like As you were talking and as we were even talking about Winnie the Pooh, things that I remember, it started to to make me just remember details and and the way I looked at things as a kid. And that I don't look at them the same way anymore because reality moves in and you're like, no, that's not what it is. Like, I remember seeing my grandma take out her teeth (laughs) and thinking like, that's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> how does one learn to take out their teeth? Or I remember like my mom wearing stockings and pulling on them as a kid and how fascinating that was because I could imagine it was skin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who you could shed skin. Like, and it was just like this fantasy world you create as a kid. And reality comes in and you say, no, it's not that. But I think what we love as kids and why we notice things that as kids that adults don't notice anymore is that there's this like freshness and newness and fascination. And it could be all these things that you just don't know yet. And then you learn them and, you know, and that goes away. And I just, what I hope comes out of our conversations is this wetting of the appetite for for the little details or the things that are in the Bible that should wet our appetite for the glorious good that's coming and that we sometimes forget because we lose focus on the reality before us instead of the reality beyond. Yeah. And Chesterton talks
0: about the purpose of fairy tales mm. um, in actually letting us rediscover how beautiful the world actually is. Mm. He talks about how like a golden apple lets you rediscover how wonderful it is that apples are red. Mm. They're red. Why are they red? They could be gold, like (laughs) this kind of idea. And I thought that was so fascinating. And I think as Christians, the Christian life can seem stale, the truths and the, the laws of how we should live seem stale. And we need to somehow rediscover in them the beautiful character of God again Mm -hmm. and, and fall in love with that and realize it is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the other thing is, I mean, there are things that, you know, we know are right, but we don't find, we don't uh, feel they're beautiful. And then there are some things that our culture is now saying is actually wicked or ugly in our faith. Mm -hmm. And we want to, Say those things are beautiful too. We want to, yeah. we want to capture again. No, this, this Christianity and everything in the Bible here yeah. is beautiful. If, if there is something about God that is offensive, it is not because God is offensive because, but because we are mm-hmm. and we look at the things that make us look ugly mm-hmm. and we, we want to get rid of or smash the mirror that is making us <laughs> look bad or whatever. I don't.
1: Yeah. yeah. It reminds me so we were just talking about this actually the app TikTok and how there's Chinese moderators for TikTok there. I think it originated in China and that they don't want to let ugly people <laughs> have have any sort of audience. So they have moderators that look out for that and make sure that they can't reach a lot of people, or if there's a crack in the wall, or, you know, they have all these, this list of things that they won't allow, and they're dictating what's beautiful. And so people have to look a certain way, their teeth have to be straight, all these different things are requirements if they're going to reach an an audience at all. And that dictatorship, (laughs) literally is what it is, has defined beauty for its country and its culture. But if we're really looking at, at finding beauty in the world, I just think about my grandma. And her hands, like one of the things I found so beautiful about her in her old age was just that like papery white translucent skin and her hands and knowing that her hands had this story, you know, she was 93 when she passed away and just, mm. just like the life that she lived, all the cinnamon buns she made with those hands, the spanking she gave her boys with <laughs> those hands, like they had stories to tell and there was something beautiful about them, but you wouldn't choose her as a hand model. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think finding the beauty, beauty, the way God looks at beauty, is so important. And we find so much beauty in His world in His word. and the world's telling us, no, that's ugly. Mm-hmm. And so that's so important to me that we focus on the beauty of His word and who He is, the beauty of his person, and fall in love with that. and hopefully others will fall in love with him as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. I think when we're struggling to follow God more deeply, I mean, obviously, I think that knowing the truth is super important, but ultimately, if our hearts are at odds with our, is at odds with our head, typically, we're more inclined to follow the thing that captures mm-hmm. us in a in a deeper way, mm-hmm. I think. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we really hope that our listeners can find their heart captured by the beauty of God and His Word mm-hmm. and how His all of the difficult parts and all of the more obviously beautiful parts.
1: And we know that's going to be really hard to do in half an hour every week. <laughs> it's, but it's just meant to whet the appetite, right? Yeah, to yeah. hopefully become a conversation starter of their own and maybe something that puts them back in God's word. And we know we're not going to get everything out in half an hour on a topic it's not going to be complete and it's going to be woefully inadequate in most people's minds but it's just that wedding of the appetite that's yeah. what we hope
0: happens yeah absolutely
1: and so we're going to end just with the poem itself by Robert Frost Fragmentary Blue why make so much of Fragmentary Blue in here and there a bird or butterfly or flower or wearing stone or open eye when heaven presents in sheets the solid hue since earth is earth perhaps not heaven as yet Though some savants make Earth include the sky, and blue so far above us comes so high, it only gives our wish for blue a wet.